census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Episode 317 of the Throwdown Thursday Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rayhold, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. We are here in Magenta Manor in the Pet Cave, coming to you as live as we can. And uh, we are brought to you by the Dorkening Podcast Network and Deadly Grounds Coffee. I am not here by myself. As always, I am joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is the Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Merlot, the Queen Regent of Rosé. Ooh, that rhymes. I like that. I think that might be what we go with from now on. The Princess of Prosecco also as well, too. She is the Michael Phelps of wine, the real housewife of Transylvania, the Queen of the Monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. Ladies and gentlemen, it is... Ashes one nightmare. I am full of potatoes. You are. Uh, I brought some, uh, a spud muffin, if you will. I brought some uh, some catering home from a, a set that I worked on, and there was potato salad. There was uh, some kind of like scalloped potatoes that was like it was like a ten pound tray. It was like four inches thick. Like it was insane. And then uh, I brought you mashed potatoes and broccoli from the mashed potato bar that we had uh, for for catering, which was uh, which was awesome. I love potatoes. I know you do, and I brought you three different kinds. What's taters, precious? I did. I did give our caterer some guff because uh, she usually does does uh, craft service on most of the films. I worked with her five times last year. And I was like, oh, hey, I love the fact that for the toppings for the potato bar, you have more potatoes. And apparently those were the dairy-free. They were just, like, cubed up. They weren't uh, they weren't mashed. But it's like, oh, I'm going to top my potatoes. Ooh, potatoes. So, it's like potato-ception. It was. It was really good. But uh, we are uh, we're picking up where we uh, left off a couple of weeks ago. We did not record last week due to some health issues. A sea witch stole my voice. Yes. Just who are we all kidding? I am the sea witch here. I know you stole your own voice. Um, Something I do for fun sometimes. Yes, and I was turned into sea foam. But uh, no, actually, if I was some sort of like. Well, See, right now you're a crab. I would be. You are so crabby right now. It's globster. ridiculous. I am, you would be I'm a globster. <laughs> globster. That's uh, any unidentifiable. Uh, organic material that watch, washes up on a beach. So whenever you see like, oh, we didn't know what this was. It's like, oh, the carcass of a sea monster. The the technical term for it is globster. Rock globster. Yes, it wasn't a rock. It was a rock globster. Everyone had matching towels. Everybody had patching trowels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
as you can hear, uh, <laughs> she's still recovering. Yeah, no, I didn't uh, start smoking like 800 packs a day. I'm uh, I'm still a little bit under the weather. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to be heading out to uh, Cape Cod to work on a, a project for uh, Discovery, so I'm very excited. Unfortunately, it is not Shark Week, but um, it's going to be an interesting endeavor either way. But uh, yeah, this week, uh, as you might have uh, been able to tell by the title of the episode and some of our uh, witty banter, we are discussing uh, The Little Mermaid, both the theatrical versions as well as the uh, actual story by Hans Christian Andersen that uh, Disney used to... Uh, to base their story off of. Which is something that they are kind of notorious for. They've done well, a lot, especially with their earlier stuff. I was going to say, and they hadn't done it in many, 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 many years. And so, uh, you know, they had done, you know, Pinocchio and Snow White and Sleeping Beauty and all that, all those, you know, classic fairy tales with, you know, questionable morals and values. Um, you know, really, like... There's not a lot of consent going on in early Disney stories. Um, they're getting a little bit better with that. They're also getting a little bit better with, you know, not marrying off 16-year-olds. Look, it's a it's a it's a uh I'm a prince. I'm going to ride my horse through the woods. <gasps> a girl that's in a glass coffin. I should make out with her. Well, and they had a thing for the age 16 too because Sleeping Beauty, Sleeping her Beauty, 16th, 16th birthday. birthday. Uh, Little Mermaid was she 16. Was, well, in the story, she was 15. But yes, in the movie, she was 16. Um, I think Snow White was around that age. She was age. 16, 17, 18, somewhere in there. Like, I don't know if she was a full-grown adult. She looked like she was 40. But, like, that's what people looked like yeah, in the but 30s. That, well, right. That's, that's just... what a teenager looked like back <laughs> yeah. then. The, uh, the age expectancy was not very long. Yeah, and uh, life expectancy... That too. Yes, uh, but yeah, it's there were in the original story. Jasmine was nine, like they had to age up Pocahontas significantly because she was like eleven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so again, some questionable stories and some, you know, polishing up of history's turds to look a little nicer. But uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll be discussing The Little Mermaid. But first, as we kind of segued just now, uh, we're going to be talking about some of our favorite classic uh, Disney animated films, as our neighbors argue incessantly upstairs. Um, you're just adding to the ambiance. It's yes. fine. You know, they're probably like, you know, you're only 16. You can't go marry some weird guy that you never met. But, Daddy, I love him. And I also have to throw it out there. Like, this is a coastal kingdom? What is a coastal kingdom's prime uh, economic uh, contribution? Dogwood. Fish. A fish. A fish. They're, they're, they're a fishing community. And so, like, you know, I can just imagine at the wedding feast, Ariel's like, I know that guy. He's a jerk. I know that guy. He's a jerk. Oh, no, that was my sister. Really? No, nah, just kidding. But I did know him. He was nice. He brought me sand dollars. And, like, she's got to watch out because of loan sharks. Hey, hey. Now they can break her knees. 
they couldn't do that before. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but we're gonna we're gonna discuss more of that later. But um, yeah, so some of our favorite classic Disney animated films. Um, so just kind of like a sidebar, when I think of classic Disney films, I think of the the VHS tapes that came in those plastic like clamshell cases that had the um those it's a black diamond yes on the side the ones that are worth tons of money now like that's what i think of and i the think the ones I still... that had dicks all over them <laughs> yeah <laughs> like the little mermaid um oh. subliminal messaging oh that wasn't that was super liminal uh but yeah, so that's that's what like the first thing that's that comes not to a mind. Dick. That's a sandcastle. No, it's not. Um, but yeah, uh, see, that was after my time. Really, I was used to like just the regular slip covers on my Disney movies. But uh, I didn't have a ton of those Disney movies growing up. But I am gonna cheat a little bit uh, when I'm gonna go with some of my picks because. Some of my picks for classic Disney, um, they were from a former Disney animator, uh, Don Bluth, who actually, we'll talk a little more about this, but 1985, Don Bluth left Disney, uh, although his one contribution, I believe, to, uh, well, not one, but Fox and the Hound, um, uh, I'm sorry, not, yeah, Fox and the Hound and um, The Great Mouse Detective. <gasps> Uh, an American. Basil. It wasn't. Uh, he did Amer- an American Tale, but like that wasn't. That was under his animation studio, but like an American Tale, um, uh, The Secret of Nim. Like you can see that. Uh, the uh, did he do the Rescuers? I don't think he did the Rescuers, but I know he did Land Before Time. Like that darker, scarier animation. Um, more uh like that style like when you look at those those specific styles of animation like you like that's Don Bluth right there like you can tell um the difference between like it's how do i describe it it's almost like it's sharper whereas disney stuff has more softer rounded edges mm. there's also a difference in the tone of saturation when it comes to the colors. Yeah, there's a lot of like painted backgrounds that they used for the animation so and uh occasionally pornography like in the case of the rescuers there's a uh, poster that you can see uh with a, a topless topless woman in uh, the rescuers. The more you know. But yeah, those are some of my my favorite. I mean, I remember seeing Pinocchio as a kid. Um, Bambi. My dad took me to see Bambi. It was one of the few movies that my dad took us to see. Bambi was one of them. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Because I, I wasn't huge into the Disney stuff until, and we'll talk about this as we get into our main discussion, the Disney Renaissance. But you know, most of the stuff that I liked was Don Bluth stuff. I feel like you're, you're, well, no, I don't feel, I know you left out a pivotal film for you. 
Um, you just recently purchased a shirt and you've been wearing the hell out of it since you bought oh, it. Oh yeah, Robin Hood. I was I was trying to think of more like Don Blue stuff, but yeah, I bought a a, a Robin Hood uh, shirt. That says "Oodalali, Oodalali, Golly, what a day!" and it has the two hats on the bottom of it. But yeah, Robin Hood. Um, I mean, I have the poster. We have Prince John Funko. We have uh, yeah, like Robin Hood's one that I watched a lot. Um, it was probably Robin Hood, Secret of Nim. Um, so I'm trying to think prior to 1989. Um. The Great Mouse Detective I really liked. And I know they're not all Disney. I know. Uh, and also, um, what's his name? Land Before Time. Those are some of the ones that I watched over and over again as a kid. Um, Robin Hood probably was the number number one that I watched the most. Well, what about you? What did you, What was yours? Um... So I loved. I, I was a. I was a Disney hoe growing up, and I still am. I love Disney. Everything Disney. I just. Uh, I love it so much. I just want to consume everything. Um, so classic Disney film for me, like they hold a really special place in my heart. So one is kind of a stretch. It's not fully animated, but it does involve animation, and it should come as no surprise to anybody. It's Mary Poppins. Um, that is my all-time favorite film. It's my feel-good film. I love that movie so much. It just uh, will always hold such a special place in my heart. Um, the Little Mermaid, fun fact, was, I believe, the first film I saw in the theaters. It came out in 89. I'm trying to figure out when in 89 as to how old I would have been. But I would have been either three or four at the time. Um, but yeah, I remember that was the... The first film I saw in the theaters, and I just thought it was so magical and um, loved Ariel, but even more so loved Ursula. I just think she is such a good big bad. And that kind of uh, started my my love for Disney villains. And then going back, you know, the evil queen in Snow White, uh, Cruella de Vil from 101 Dalmatians. Came out on November 17th, 1989. Oh, happy birthday, Dad. Yeah, so I would have been four, just freshly turned four. Um, but yeah, the big, so it was like Sleeping Beauty, Maleficent. Uh, and then as I got older, um, Aladdin. I loved Aladdin because I thought Princess Jasmine was just so unbelievably cool. I loved the fact that she wore pants. I loved the fact that she had a giant tiger as a pet. And there was something so different. Um, a, like her look, her overall aesthetic. You know, she didn't look like the other princesses. Uh, but she just had a different feel to her overall. Like she... Um, she had a little bit more of like a rebellious spirit. And she that's... was also 16. Oh, hey. And there we go. Um, you know, and I just thought it was fantastic. And Beauty and the Beast was just a phenomenal film. I love that movie so much. Not necessarily for the main characters, but I mean, to be completely honest, that the, the Be Our Guest scene is probably one of the most 
awe-inspiring animated scenes ever just with everything moving all at once and all of the different colors and then you have the music that matches up with it it's just such a feast for the eyes like it's unbelievably delightful so yeah and oh fun fact so i think the fact that i saw the little mermaid at a young age in the theater and that was kind of when I fell in love with the ocean, too, because at that point I hadn't really had any exposure to the ocean. Uh, flash forward to a couple of years and I was living on an island. Um, but, yeah, that kind of uh, that kind of started my fascination with with the ocean and ocean life. And I over time became Growing up, especially growing up in the 80s and 90s, you were either like weird horse girl, weird dolphin girl, weird unicorn girl. Uh, you're like the, the weird girls who had like really niche interests. Well, I was both weird, weird dolphin girl and a weird unicorn girl. So you can imagine how happy I was to learn that narwhals were real and they existed. Narwhals, narwhals, swimming in the ocean. Causing a commotion, because they are so awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I could also... <coughs> I suppose you could throw Roger Rabbit in there, because there are a lot of Disney characters and a lot of Warner Brothers characters, and it's like the only time they've ever really crossed over, and it was, like, absolutely glorious. I just love the kind of, like, the... The reinventing, the reawakening of Disney in the late '80s, early '90s. The second 19, wave. It was 1989. Yeah, this, we're, this, we're going to talk yeah, about this, that. Yeah, this second wave of of Disney classic classics that we all hold so dear. Um, there's just something so magical about that, and being able to grow up during that time with those films watching these different animation styles and you know yeah there was some computerization more towards the mid 90s for some of this stuff but Early a lot 90s. of it yeah but a lot of it was still relying on that classic animation style of of making these films and watching the the behind the scenes of how these films were made like say beauty and the beast that you blended know, both of those together like the ballroom yeah. scene yes uh, that was both uh, animated and uh, hand-drawn, uh, CGI and hand-drawn, but also, like, they needed to do hand-drawn stuff. Like, they had uh, the the live-action version of Belle run down the hallway so they could draw it, whereas, you know, some of, like, the Ralph Bakshi stuff was just rotoscoped. But learning that these films were started years we're talking two or three years before they actually even you know were edited together and you know well 24 uh 24 frames a second like 24 drawings is one second of animation and when you think of some of the detail like you were talking the br guest scene the scene where they have all of the the dancing plates where it starts off with like just the the cups dancing by then the plates and the forks and then they just have the row upon row upon row upon row upon row like that's all hand drawn and like the be our guest scene is up there with the um oh my god we were just listening to this song why am i drawing a blank sea. under the sea yeah like how much is going on because and i'm on so detail. much cough medicine yeah yeah just all of the cups
colors and all of the you know action that's happening on top of that you have this fantastic soundtrack this song that is so unbelievably catchy and fun like re-watching it you know I haven't seen this film in a really long time brought me back to this really happy place and I'm just like oh maybe that's what I'll do this weekend maybe I'll watch The Little Mermaid again because it's just uh it's it's these are films that really just stand the test of time and regardless of how much CGI bullshit crap that we get today, and some of it's great, don't get me wrong, some of it is really great, nothing can really hold a candle to some of these classic animated films. Yeah, no, it, it's it's trying to capture that feeling that you had when you saw them for the first time, when you heard the songs for the first time, and... You know, we were listening to some of the songs early when we were trying to decide what we're going to do for our, our coming back from break segments. And, uh, and you, it's kind of like when you listen to someone who wants to put their own spin on the national anthem and draws something out too long. Oh, looking at you, Fergie. Too quick or just like, you know what? It's like, meh. Like, there is something to be said about somebody just getting up and singing the national anthem and doing it as is none of those like little curly cues or the like trying to mariah carry it out or whatever there's something to be said about just a nice clean good rendition of the star spangled banner it's like when they did a uh it was some award show and angela lansbury did a live version of uh What's the ballroom seat? Not be our guest. Tale as old as time. The beauty. It's beauty, beauty and the, and the beast. beast. The beauty and the beast songs. I'm not. Mm. I can't word good, which is great for a podcast. Um, so those are our picks. I think uh, now's a good time to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we're gonna we're gonna, gonna dive into the Little Mermaid. I see <laughs> what you did there, um, but yeah, we'll. Uh, We'll be talking about the the main topic, and you know, definitely let us know what some of your favorite animated uh, Disney films are, and uh, you can cheat like I did. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. My dear sweet child, that's what I do. It's what I live for, to help unfortunate merfolk like yourself. Poor souls with no one else to turn to. I admit that in the past I've been a nasty. They weren't kidding when they called me well a witch. But you'll find that nowadays I've mended all my ways, repented, seen the light, and made a switch. True, yes. 
And I fortunately knew a little magic. It's a talent that I always have possessed. And here lately, please don't laugh. I use it on behalf of the miserable, lonely, and depressed. Pathetic. Poor unfortunate souls in pain, in need. This one longing to be thinner, that one wants to get the girl, and do I help them? Yes, indeed. Those poor unfortunate souls, so sad, so true. They come flocking to my cauldron, crying, spells, Ursula, please, and I help them? Yes, I do. Now it's happened once or twice. Someone couldn't pay the price. And I'm afraid I had to rake them across the goals. Yes, I've had the odd complaint, but on the whole, I've been a saint. To those poor unfortunate souls. And we are back. That, of course, being uh, Ursula doing Poor Unfortunate Soul, which is my favorite song of that film. So, the oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, like, in these Disney animated films, they will have a villain song. And Poor Unfortunate Souls is hands down by far the best villain song that there is. Yeah. Well, uh, mm, in my think. personal no, 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 opinion. Just, I just, I, I, before I agree, I'm trying to remember, like, Be Prepared's not bad, but it's not a great villain song. Um,. The, uh, I'm trying to think of who else has villain songs. Like, there really aren't any vill- um, the 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 one from Great Mouse Detective. Um, I mean, Mother Gothel's song in I don't, Tangled. I think I've seen that once, ten, twelve. Years Mother ago. knows best. That's yeah, I, a pretty good one too. But for me, I don't know. There's something about the delivery, the way that the voice actor. I should have looked this up, but I didn't. The way that you know, just just the animation during that song, the delivery, and plus everything. like the, the, the asides all the time, where it's just like, you know, just like when she's talking to the eels. It's so theatrical. It is so theatrical, and I love it so much. Um, there have been some fantastic renditions elsewhere too. I believe Queen Latifah, Pat Carroll, Pat Carroll, yes, yes. And fun fact, in case you didn't know, the character of Ursula, the design, anyways, was based off of Divine, the drag queen, who we covered in uh, "I Give Blowjobs to Serial Killers." And one of the things that I can commend um, Melissa McCarthy for, uh, and I still haven't seen the live action one yet. I will eventually, but uh, probably when I'll, I'll wait till I'm feeling the better. The CGI live action? Not, yeah, <laughs> wait till I'm not hacking up a lung. Um, is that she did a lot of research. She actually watched a lot of drag performances uh, in order to kind of help her find the character. So, you know, I, I I have some issues with the makeup and that has been going viral as well. Like, the, the, you know, um, and that's really the only issue that I have flat out with the film before seeing it is just they could have they could have done a little bit more, taken a little more care um, with how that character was presented. You know, if she... If Melissa McCarthy was really dedicated to this role, 12 years ago when she was in Bridesmaids, she would have talked to Pat Carroll because 
Pat Carroll was in that movie. Was she really? Yeah, she played uh, Old Woman in Car. Oh, well, so that narrows very, it down. a very prominent role. Mm. But, you know, if she was really dedicated, she would have asked her 12 years ago before this was even a thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. But, yeah, I've, I've seen a few clips and a few things, and I am not overly impressed with uh, some of the line deliveries. Now, again, I've only seen about two minutes worth. But I, and it was taken out of context. So, yeah, I'm I'll gonna take it I'm with gonna a grain of salt. wait to see it to actually form an, uh, a more educated opinion. I'm just saying at face value, I do not I do not love the way that Ursula is presented in the in the makeup department. Let's just put it that it looks a little flat, and I feel like they could have done so much, you know, because the cartoon version is just so ostentatious. Yeah, like there's just something. And the rest of her looks great. Like the costuming and stuff looks fantastic. The, the tentacles look awesome, and they provide almost like a, um, like in some of the stuff that I've seen, like the way they move, it's almost like they have a, a, a life of their own and their you own know, personality. And the way that they were able to use motion capture um, to really get the hair right. And some of the stuff that they did, like they would put, uh, and I've seen some of this for. Uh, I keep wanting to call her ha- Halle Berry. Haley Berry. Bailey. Ha- Holly Bailey. Jesus. Holly Bailey. Uh, Holly? Haley. Haley Holly? It's, uh, now Hold it, now on. You're, throw, you're throwing me off because Haley, I said Halle ha- Berry. Wait, maybe is it, is it Holly or is it not Holly? Holly or it, it, it's, Haley? It's, maybe it's Haley Bailey. Oh, God. No, it is Holly. Holly Bailey. Yes. Holly Bailey. Okay. I keep, I, even when I read it, I see Halle Berry uh, because the names are so similar. Jesus. Um, what they showed for like some of the scenes where she's kind of like floating backwards, like there's this like weird rig that like they would, uh, she would put like from her hips down, like her waist down, she would be in it. And so she could kind of like, you know, lean back and like it would move her around, so it almost looked like her fish legs were kicking. And in an interview, uh, they asked her. So she does the iconic hair flip in the water with like the sun behind her, and it looks really cool. Um, they asked her, like, you know, was that really you, or you know, did they CGI that? Like, what? How did how did they achieve that? And she was like, no, that was me, and that was my real hair, and it took like twenty takes. I'm like, wow, that poor girl and her neck. Like, I hope somebody after the fact gave her like a nice neck massage oh, or something. On you know, set get give her some, tampered. like, give this girl some icy hot or something because you know, if if you have hair, if you have long hair, you know how heavy it can be when it gets wet and homegirl has locks these gorgeous 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 locks it is Hallie. which is immensely even heavier than just you know regular hair so i can't even imagine how much that hurt and pulled on her scalp and but i mean it looks incredible just throwing it out there Halle Berry and Halle Bailey both spell their first names exactly the same. H-A-L-L-E. So, like, that's throwing me off. Like, obviously, they're two different people, but, like, sometimes, especially with my ADHD-type stuff when I'm trying to read through something, I just see the first letter of the word and the last letter of the word. So it's like, 
then it gets jumbled up in my brains. So this movie actually started in development in the 30s. So, like, it was part of that, like, you know, Peter Pan, Snow White, um, I almost said Snow White, comma, Seven Dwarfs. Uh, like, those are two separate movies. Uh, Bambi, uh, Pinocchio. I think Pinocchio came out in the 50s. But, like, that first rash, you know, Sleeping Beauty, all of those that, that came out back then. But for whatever reason, they decided this wasn't the right time for it. And they probably made a good decision there. Um Although the Duke of Soul probably would have fit in uh, more with the aesthetic of the 1930s films, like Dumbo, where you literally have a guy who is a crow named Jim. Um, so clever. Um, but yeah, they probably did. A, they probably made the right choice on this one. Um, but the the actual story by Hans Christian Andersen was over a hundred years older than that. Um, I forget the exact date. I didn't write it down for some reason. 1837. There you go. So not quite 100 years, 93 years uh, prior to that. Um, and the thing that we kept talking about, the uh, Disney Renaissance, the second Disney Renaissance. So for the longest time, Disney was kind of, I don't want to say stagnant because they were still putting out content, but like... It had been a while since they had, like, a big hit. You know, it was stuff like The Black Cauldron and, um, you know, a lot of Muppets stuff. Although, they didn't own the Muppets then, did they? I'm trying to remember if Disney was Muppets. No, no. Uh, the Muppets are a more recent acquisition. Okay. See, I, that always, I always forget who owned what and when. But, you know, they were putting out a lot of that type of stuff, and they were concentrating a lot on, like, the Michael Jackson, the Captain EO experience you know, um, oh, was it um, uh, the the Ichabod Crane? Yes, like, like they were the Adventures to... of Ichabod Crane and Mister Toad, or something like yeah, that. Or like am the, I the like Sleepy Hollow story? Yes. which I've never seen. So, <gasps> but they were trying. They did oh, a lot of, it's fantastic! They did a lot of live action as well. Flight of the Navigator, one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, so they were trying a lot of different things, um, and nothing really captured audiences until you know especially in 1985 when the aforementioned Don Bluth left to create his own uh, animation studio and traumatized the shit out of our generation with movies like All Dogs Go to Heaven and uh uh the dinosaur one Land Before Time Land Before I was like last like Rockadoodle Rockadoodle another one I saw that in the theaters that one was fun uh another yeah terrifying horrific uh, you know, film, like, just anything to fuck with a kid. Uh, he left, but he took uh, a bunch of their animators with him. So, like, some of their best animators went with Don Bluth because they saw how stagnant Disney was. So they finally started, they're like, you know what, let's try this. And this was the first one. This was uh, 1989, um, and it kind of spawned the rest of these, like, really odd, like, Aladdin, uh, 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 Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King, all came after this, and each one of those was a fucking mega hit. Like, all of them were huge. Uh, and it started with 
the Little Mermaid, people started to have faith in Disney again. So I'm like, all right, you know, let's throw some music into this. Let's, you know, really go for it. And, you know. Well, because they created a cinematic experience. Like I said before, you know, it was a it was a feast for the eyes, but it really was a feast for the senses. You know, you're seeing all of these great colors and the, these these beautiful drawings and settings but you're hearing this fantastic music that is so catchy and at times uplifting and sad at times you know what like all of these these songs that can really just evoke emotion out of you you know you leave the theater feeling so satisfied because you've Singing gone on this the song. right you know you 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 leave with the main song, you know, there's always like that one song. The I Want song you were talking well, about. Well, no, 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 not necessarily no, the I you Want song. don't think song. that's the main one in this? No, Under the Sea is Under like the, the, sea, the yeah. I'm going to say the main song that's catchy, you know, like so for this one, it's Under the Sea. For Beauty and the Beast, it's Be Our Guest. For mm. Aladdin, it's You've Never Had a Friend Like Me. I would say A Whole New World. Because that's when like the. They're soaring around like that's like the climax. I mean, e when you think about The Little Mermaid and it's like you sort of you have the opening song about I mean, and just out of curiosity, is that how they start every fucking day with a full concert? Like, is that how they do every day? No, like the concert that Ariel doesn't show up to. Oh, yes, like, yes. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, is that how every day starts with a fucking it's our, it's pageant the princess for the king? Ariel. So there's that She's song. She's not here. Then there's Part of Your World, which is next, if I remember correctly. Then there's Under the Sea. Then there's Poor Unfortunate Souls. Then there's Kiss the Girl. Then there's uh, La, La Poisson. La Poisson. Hee hee hee. Ho ho ho. Which means the fish. <coughs> so there's, that's six songs. Like, and every one of them is incredibly memorable, except for the opening one, which is weird because that's the first thing that you hear, but it's the only one. Uh, without it's, Ariel or Sebastian. It's the sisters, and they're introducing themselves, and they're supposed to... Yeah. Yeah, but... Um, but it's Sebastian's, just so good. Sebastian makes most of those songs. Now, I know he doesn't sing in the Le Poisson song, but, like, he's being horrified by what's going... And again, to harken back to what I was saying, Ariel is marrying into this. Well, she wants to. That's all her friend. Like that's what her friends are going to be. Like that's how her friend. And she's. He saw the crabs. He even got stuffed full of kale or whatever the fuck. Like he's. It's a bad. It's a bad time to be a fish. Like these are all people that she knows. The in the. I don't know if it was in the most recent. Um, live. Uh, they did like a the Little Mermaid live. Because um, they've been doing all of these musicals live and stuff. Or if it was in, sometimes they'll do like reviews where stars will come in and they'll just sing some of the, the, the songs and stuff. But anyways, John Stamos did that song. Okay. I, I, I guess. Like, he's relevant. It was good. Yes. <laughs> Uncle Jesse is always relevant, okay? Thank you very much. So... Before we, uh, you, I, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, like the actual story and how it kind of differs. So I'll give a little bit of the, 
of some of this, and then you can chime in with the extra stuff that I don't have because you have. Well, I was going to say that the co-director and writer Ron Clements of The Little Mermaid felt that the original Little Mermaid, the Little Mermaid in Hans Christian Andersen's story, was way too tragic. Yeah, like and so they, they rewrote turned... the character. Like they just felt that. I mean, they they liked the bones of the story, but they just felt that the overall story, especially the ending, was way too tragic for children. But there's a reason, the, and and we'll get into why the ending is the way it is, and why Hans Christian Andersen kind of framed it the way he did. But the first thing is, there's no. Uh, there's no name. There's no Ariel. She's not named. She's just the Little Mermaid, and she's 15. So 15 to 16, not a huge jump. Okay. Um, and in the story, she's very much looking forward to turning 15 because once you turn 15, you can uh, go up to the surface world and kind of observe humanity. And her and her sisters all do that. They're all like, "Hey, this is great." Eh. I'm pretty fucking bored now. I'm going to leave. She's the only one that's like, ooh, people. Ooh, this is exciting. If she knew people, she wouldn't think that. Um, and they kind of uh, combine her sisters and her into the Ariel character that we see because Ariel has a white marble statue in her garden that she kind of fawns over. Um, and in the story, it's her sisters who uh, collect all the random garbage, like the, the gadgets and gizmos aplenty. Yeah, the uh, who's its and what's its galore. The thingamabobs. She's got twenty, um, but who cares? She wants more. Always wanting more. Um, Cause she's a hoarder. Right, like her sisters are the ones who liked all that stuff. Like she didn't care about that. She just liked her statue because it was a literal depiction of the world that she wanted to be a part of and could not be a part of. Uh, also, side note, uh, how the fuck did Flounder get that statue into the cave? Because there's no way it would have fit through the hole in the top and there's no way it's going to fit through the side. The statue... Disney magic. Bullshit is what I call it. Yeah, anytime you see something like that, a wizard did it. Um, the other thing that is a huge, I think to me, the biggest change between the story and the film is the Sea Witch, who again doesn't have a name. The Sea Witch is not a villain. The Sea Witch is just the Sea Witch going about her business, doing magic things. And Ariel comes to her and says, hey, I want to... I want to do this. I want to be a human and walk on land. And the sea witch tries to talk her out of it. Okay, so I'm going to cut in for a moment here because there's a reason why. So uh, when the sisters become old enough, each of them visits the upper world one at a time every 365 days. As each returns, the Little Mermaid listens longingly to their various descriptions of the world inhabited by human beings. When the Little Mermaid's turn comes, she rises up to the surface, watches a birthday celebration being held on a ship in honor of a handsome prince, and falls in love with him from a safe distance. 
Then a violent storm hits, sinking the ship, and the Little Mermaid saves the prince from drowning. She delivers him unconscious to the shore near a temple. Here, the Little Mermaid waits until a young woman from the temple and her ladies-in-waiting find him. To her dismay, the prince never sees the Little Mermaid or even realizes that it was she who had originally saved his life. The Little Mermaid becomes melancholic and asks her grandmother if humans can live forever. Her grandmother explains that humans have a much shorter lifespan than mermaids, which is about 300 years, but that they have an eternal soul that lives on in heaven while mermaids turn to sea foam at the death at death and cease to exist. So the little mermaid longing for the prince and an eternal soul visits the sea witch who lives in a pineapple under the sea no lives in a dangerous part of the ocean the witch willingly helps her by selling her a potion that gives her legs in exchange for her voice but in actuality rips her tongue out yeah she cuts her tongue out with a knife um very uh super fun As the Little Mermaid has the most enchanting voice in the entire world, the witch warns the Little Mermaid that once she becomes a human, she will never be able to return to the sea. Consuming the potion will make her feel as if a sword was being passed through her body. A what? A sword. A sword? A sword. An S-word? A sword. When she recovers, she will have two human legs and will be able to dance as no human has ever danced before. However, she will constantly feel as if she is walking on sharp knives. Moreover, she will obtain a soul only if she wins the love of the prince and marries him, for then a part of his soul will flow into her. Otherwise, at dawn on the first day after he marries someone else, the Little Mermaid will die with a broken heart and dissolve into sea foam upon the waves. Yeah, very, uh, very sad. Uh, But again, like, all of this is kind of like to deter her from giving up because mermaids live for 300 years. Like, and that's that's their thing like 300 years like if you were to become a human you would be significantly shortening your lifespan but again she wants the soul for immortality um which is a lot of i mean there's a reason his middle name is christian um, <coughs> yes i'm just oh oh, oh i thought packing you up along we're gonna add don't something mind me. um but yeah it's you know ursula is like hey i'm trying to you know, prevent this. But like, it's not Ursula. It's just the sea right. witch. Right. It's the sea witch. Yeah. I keep, I keep doing that. Um, cause there is, they're not named in the, in the story. So it's, it's difficult to classify the sea witch as a, vi- as a villain in this because she's really not like she gives like, obviously whatever she's going to do for her magic, she needs something in return. There has to be an exchange, but she does things repeatedly through the story to be like, I'm giving you an out. I'm giving you an out. I'm giving you the opportunity to change your fate. Um, so she doesn't just need to get 
true love's kiss. She needs to get married. She needs to get herself married. She needs to find, settle down, find herself a man, and just, I'm gonna find me a baby daddy. Uh, the problem is the prince, when he sees her because she can't speak, he refers to her as a dumb child. Like, and she gets to sleep on a big velvet cushion outside of his bedroom, kind of like a dog. Yeah, so um, after she agrees to the arrangement, the Little Mermaid swims up to the surface near the prince's castle and drinks the potion. The liquid feels like a sword piercing her body, and she passes out on the shore naked. She is found by the prince, who is mesmerized by her beauty and grace, even though he discovers that she is mute. Most of all, he likes to see her dance, and she dances for him, despite suffering excruciating pain with every step. Soon, the Little Mermaid becomes the prince's favorite companion and accompanies him on many of his outings, but he does not fall in love with her at all. No, because, again, he considers her a dumb child and looks at her more like a pet or an amusement than, you know, anything else. So, eventually, the sisters are trying to save the Little Mermaid from this terrible fate and approach the Sea Witch, who gives them an enchanted knife in exchange for their long, luxurious hair. Kind of like, yeah, you know, gift of the magi type thing. Um, what? Well, I was going to say, you're kind of getting a little bit ahead of yourself. Oh. So, when the prince's parents encourage him to marry the neighboring princess in an arranged marriage, the prince tells the Little Mermaid he will not because he does not love the princess. He goes on to say that he can only love the young woman from the temple whom he believes rescued him. It turns out that the princess from the neighboring kingdom was the temple woman as she was sent to the temple for her education. The prince declares his love for her and the royal wedding is announced at once. Yeah, and, you know, obviously that spells doom for the, the, the little mermaid who's like, well, she can't say anything. That's right. why she didn't so say anything. So the prince and princess celebrate their new marriage aboard a wedding ship, and the Little Mermaid's heart breaks. She thinks of all that she has sacrificed and all of the pain she has endured for the prince. She despairs, thinking of the death that awaits her. But before dawn, her sisters rise out of the water and bring her a dagger that the sea witch has given them in exchange for their long, beautiful hair. If the, little, if the Little Mermaid kills the prince and lets his blood drip on her feet, she will become a mermaid once more. All of her suffering will end, and she will live out her full ocean life, or her full life in the ocean with her family. However, the Little Mermaid cannot bring herself to kill the sleeping prince lying with his new wife, and she throws the dagger and herself off the ship into the water just as dawn breaks. And so she is uh, spared her fate. You know, like like we said, uh, or like Asha said, this had a very downer um, ending because she should have turned into seafoam, but... Hans Christian Andersen put in this deus ex machina moment where the <coughs> daughters of the air came and 
looked upon this selfless act performed by Ariel, or the Little Mermaid. Um, yes. Okay, so her body dissolves into foam, but instead of ceasing to exist, she feels the warm sun and discovers that she has turned into a luminous and ethereal earthbound spirit, a daughter of the air. As the Little Mermaid ascends into the atmosphere, she is greeted by other daughters who tell her she has become like them because she strove with all her heart to obtain an immortal soul. Because of her selflessness, she is given the chance to earn her own soul by doing good deeds for humankind for 300 years and she will one day rise up into heaven yeah that was the deal with the uh with the ending of the story uh that hans christian anderson wrote in there and the reason for it was you know he would he he added that every time a, a child does a good deed it would take a year off of the 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 weight for the little mermaid to ascend to heaven with her soul. But every time a child was bad, whatever tears resulted from their action, whether their own tears or tears of someone else, each teardrop would add one day to, I don't want to say sentence, but to her stay in purgatory or limbo. The, the space between worlds. Ah, yes. Manipulating children by telling them stories in order to do what you want, them for in order for them to do what you want them to do. Yeah. So that was basically the, the gist of the story. It, very similar. Um, although I think turning into sea foam and ceasing to exist would probably be better than being one of those weird, like, gremlin things, like, that ursula had and like the garden of like weird gremlin people they're like seaweed i know but they have like faces and like they grab you and like, like they try to they try to kill ariel or at least they try they latch onto her and try and pull her like i don't get like ah we're gonna pull you down and drown you oh wait you're a fish like um I like the fact that they turned the sea witch, I mean, because it's Disney, witches have to be evil, right? Uh, they, they turned the sea witch into this <coughs> massive octopus-looking villain. And, like, there are certain stories, and I think they do this for the new one, uh, there are certain theories saying that they were siblings, uh, Triton and... Uh, Ursula, meaning that you know Ariel got cursed by her aunt, but I think it was a way of Ursula trying to get back at Triton for you know again it's very Scar versus Mufasa type, like oh you're the the handsome the strong like the the good looking one where I'm the this ugly tentacle puss like uh, creature. And, you know, I'm, like, gray and scary, and I live in a cave with little mutant seaweed people and eels with mismatched eyes. But, like, he's, you know, the, the great, glorious, almost, like, he looks very much like Zeus from Hercules, which I also haven't seen. But, like, you know, he's... 
You haven't seen Hercules? I have not seen Hercules. I haven't seen The Emperor's New Groove. I haven't seen... Who put the glad in Gladiator? Hercules! Who put the ape in Apricot? I've seen that movie. <laughs> no, like, those came out... Like, I only recently watched Road to El Dorado, and I only that did one's it... all right. And I only did it for a podcasting with Old Man Wade. And that was like last year sometime. The Emperor's Gro- Emperor's New Groove is good too. Yeah, I haven't haven't seen that. Haven't seen there's a, like all, all the stuff that came out around that time, haven't seen it. Eartha Kitt as Isma. I know those I know some of those words, but Crunk pull the lever. I don't, I don't know what that means. Wrong lever. Yeah, so I don't I don't know what that means. Like, that means nothing to me because I haven't Kronk seen it. joins the Squirrel Scouts. That's super awesome for whoever that is. Squeaker, squeaky, squeaky, squeaking. Um, you have missed out on so much joy. I, I was So much joy. I wasn't um, into Disney you, movies. I was working my way through horror films. You, sir, are going to get an education. I mean, I have Disney Plus, so I can watch them. Right? There's no excuse. Right. I just haven't had any interest. So oh, it's well, like I will, I will make you interested. Eh. Um, but yeah, so this, this is one of the better adaptations. Like, it wasn't just a complete ripoff of somebody else's story, like, say... The Lion King uh, that they tried to pass off as their own. Like, for most of the classic ones that we were talking about, like, back in the 30s, they they did the same thing, like, where they would slightly sort of tweak the endings because the grim fairy tales were literally grim. Like, at the end of uh, Snow White, the witch is forced to wear red-hot iron shoes and dance until she dies. Like... So they just had her fall off a cliff and get crushed by boulders instead. You can dance if you want to. You can dance until you die. Like, that's, you know, that's much better for the children. Like, had just, oh, she got hit by lightning, fell off a cliff, and crushed by a boulder. Like, yeah, that's... That's a nice boulder. Yeah, that's much better than what happened with uh, in, in, the, in the story. We don't want to traumatize the children. Uh, also, they always have to... They, I don't know why, but they always have to kill off... At least one of the parents. Well, that's a Disney thing. Yeah, well, that's what I. There was Disney a thing on loves Reddit. traumatizing children. There was a thing on Reddit a while ago where, you know, and I didn't know this, but they explained how um, all of Ariel and her sisters are all representative of the seven seas, and it's like, oh, so every woman in that family is representative of one of the seas, and someone was like, well, who would their mom be? And someone said the Dead Sea. And it's like, ooh. But like, yeah. So, but again, it's a parent in a Disney movie who isn't like super magical, so it has to be dead. So getting into the character of Ariel, uh, the character design itself, and the voicing of the character. So Ariel is voiced by Jodie Benson, who was predominantly a stage actress. And she was chosen to voice Ariel because the directors felt it was really important to have the same person doing the singing and the speaking. And they do a lot of that now, uh, but there was a time when... Uh, I'm thinking, I believe Aladdin, the uh, acting, the, the 
voice actors who did the speaking parts were not the voice actors who did the singing parts. Oh, and yeah, that like, happened a lot in, you know, animation just in general. Yeah, like... Um, like Gem and the Holograms, the... Samantha Newark... Was not the singer, even though she had no. a delightful singing Right. Voice. I mean, we see that all the time. Uh, Chris Sarandon is the voice of Jack Skellington, but Danny Elfman is the one doing all the singing. Right. So, and the reason why they chose Jodie Benson is because they thought her voice had a sweetness and youthfulness to it. And she was around 25, 26 at the time that she recorded the vocals and whatnot for Ariel. Uh, And fun fact, part of your world was originally going to be cut from the final film. And that was the first song. So you heard us mention earlier, the I want song, um, Princess films usually have one of two things. You know, they have an I want song, which is the princess going about and telling, you know, through a song, the exposition, this is who I am, this is what I want to do. And in the case of part of your world, she's literally saying, I want this. I want to be where the people are, which fuck bitch. Why would you want that? But anyways, um, excuse me so the fact that they originally were going to cut it from the film you know it's become one of those iconic songs and it really laid the groundwork for some of the i want songs that have come after that um without uh part of your world we probably wouldn't have that um Oh, God, I'm trying to think. The, the Beauty and the Beast one. You know which one I'm talking about. I'm, I can't think. Provincial Life? Yes. The one where she's like, I'm so much better than everybody, but I don't contribute you know, she's a fucking walking thing to society. Through, you know, it's, it's the first song. She's walking through you know, the streets of this village in France. Um, everyone's saying, you know, bonjour, and, you know, and, and she's making her way to... That's how you to... know they're French, because there's no <laughs> other indication that they're French. I mean, there are lots of baguettes. There's always baguettes. <laughs> there are a lot of baguettes in this film. Um, but anyways, yeah, so without this song, we wouldn't have had that just, you know, that, that, that iconic I Want song. Uh, and her appearance was based off of a number of inspirational sources, including Christy Brinkley, who was a really hot model at the time, Alyssa Milano, who I believe was 16 around this time. 1989? She was was definitely a teenager. She was kind of like a late teen. Um, And model comedian Sherry Stoner, who provided live action? She was seventeen. Okay, so um, who provided the live action references for the animators during the development of the film? And fun fact: the movement of Ariel's hair underwater was based on footage of astronaut Sally Ride while she was in space. Yeah, that I had known, and I mean that's the best way to <coughs> to really get that. Um, frame of reference without like dunking someone underwater and like having them try to perform all these different uh, motions. I mean, it's essentially the same thing. You know, it's essentially weightlessness, uh, letting everything kind of flow along. But in space, it's based on how you're moving your head, which I I suppose it is in the 
water too, except you know your hair is lighter than water, so it should float up. But I don't know. That's just that's just me. And one of the main challenges of creating and animating Ariel for the film was the color required to show Ariel in the changing environments, both under the sea and on land. The sea green color of Ariel's mermaid tail was a hue specially mixed by the Disney Paint Lab. The color was named Ariel after the character. The choice of red as Ariel's hair was the subject of dispute between the filmmakers and studio executives who wanted the character to have blonde hair. It was noted that the red hair contrasted better with Ariel's green tail. Red was easier to darken than yellow. And Disney's live-action branch Touchstone Pictures had recently released Splash, starring Daryl Hannah, that had a blonde mermaid. So because of that, Ariel's red hair was ultimately kept. And I think that was smart because at the time and for a while, she was the only red-headed princess until we got Merida with Brave. And But her hair is... It's definitely <coughs> distinct enough where it's it's very very different. Yes, it's yes. It's more frizzy. Um, but I mean, again, that that red hair is so iconic. So we see the Little Mermaid in several different uh, animated things. Um, obviously, the Little Mermaid the film that came out in 1989 that is our first introduction to her we see her as having this fascination with the human world she's a free spirit she's kind of rebellious you know she's definitely you know typical teenager she's going off and disobeying her father's wishes wanting to follow her heart and do all of this stuff she has a best friend named flounder who's this cute little thing her father um Tells his royal advisor, is this Sebastian his advisor? Hold yeah, on. yeah, because yeah, he's the one who yeah. puts, gets put in charge. Yeah, so um, you know, puts puts Sebastian in charge of pretty much babysitting her. Uh, and somewhere in uh, it might be in a tote or bag or something. So somewhere in this apartment, I have a stuffed Sebastian and a stuffed flounder that I just could never bring myself to part with because I got those shortly after the film came out and they just, I don't know, they just, they just always been with me. Um, I think they're still in good condition too. But anyways, I digress. Yeah, they're somewhere around here. I've seen them. You know, when we know what happens, we know she trades her voice for legs and she because she she somehow falls in love with Prince Eric. It's love at first sight. Um, you know, the little little mermaid is amazing and she does all this stuff, you know, and, and Eric is there. Um, you know, she goes through all of that. She's rebelling against her father and then in the end you know she they defeat the sea witch and she has a happy ending we all know this yeah 16 year olds definitely know what's best for them for the rest of their lives 
So there was a prequel TV series from 1992 to 1994. There were 31 episodes. And in that series, Ariel is kind and caring to others, no matter what their circumstances. In an early episode, Ariel helps an or- orphan merboy who had fallen in with a bad crowd. In another episode, Ariel befriends a supposed bad luck creature and protects it from Ursula and other merfolk who wish who wish it harm. So it is set uh, in an unspecified time before the first film and the series follows Ariel's adventures with her friends and family. And sometimes Ariel has uh, foils the attempts of enemies that are intent on harming her or the kingdom of Atlantica. Um, We see how Ariel met Flounder and Scuttle. We see more of her relationship with her father and her sisters. And it's also like Ursula is involved. So we see a little bit more of, you know, her relationship with Ursula uh, kind of being not the only big bad, but, you know, being one of the main big bads of the season. Now, fun fact, in one episode, Ariel comes across Hans Christian Andersen, the author of The Little Mermaid, while he was traveling underwater in a primitive submarine. In the fictionalized encounter, she saves Anderson's life, inspiring him to write the story. That's like way too meta for me. In 2000, The Little Mermaid got a sequel, The Little Mermaid 2 Return to the Sea. Ariel appears as an adult and gives birth to a daughter named Melody, becoming the first and currently only Disney princess to become a mother. That's true, because uh, while some of the other characters may have had children, say Nala, Nala is not a Disney princess. So Ariel, now the new queen of Eric's kingdom, has given birth to a daughter named Melody. When Melody's safety is threatened by Ursula's sister Morgana after using her as a hostage to get Triton's Triton's trident while try tried try try saying that ten times fast Triton's no Triton's do or do not there is no Triton. Ariel and her husband, Eric, decide they must keep Melody away from the sea, so they build a large wall to separate it from the castle. But Melody's love of the sea proves too strong, and she visits Morgana, who turns her into a mermaid temporarily. King Triton uses his trident to transform Ariel back into her own mermaid form to find and rescue Melody. Morgana tricks Melody into taking part in a plot to steal her grandfather king triton's trident you just love saying that over and over again (laughs) apparently she goes to atlantica and succeeds in acquiring the trident atlantica what a what a super creative name ariel arrives and they return with it to morgana and tries to persuade melanie to give back the trident Morgana then reveals her true intentions. She calmly mentions that the spell that turned Melody into a mermaid will wear off by sundown, then uses the trident's magic to lord over the ocean, rising to the surface to gloat. 
<coughs> oh, excuse me. Scuttle, Triton, Sebastian, and Eric arrive, and a battle ensues against Morgana and her minions. Soon after the sunset, Morgana's spell wears off, and Melody returns to human form. Ariel saves Eric, and Melody manages manages to grab the trident and returns it to King Triton, who then punishes Morgana by sending her to the bottom of the ocean, frozen in a block of ice. Triton returns Ariel to human form. The wall separating Eric's castle from the sea is torn down, and the contact between humans and merfolk is restored. That's because the sea, the the sea king and the <coughs> water walkers found a, a giant dragon. And they used that to knock down the wall. I might be mixing my my media here. And there's one more thing before I die. Um, the breakfast cereal. There is another film called The Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning. It came out in 2008, and it's Disney's last animated direct-to-video film. Yeah, and you forgot the breakfast cereal. So they had little marshmallow scallops, a little crab-flavored crab little red... Crab-flavored cereal. Yep, Sebastian. And uh, it was uh, just... It didn't go over well. Because nobody wanted to have like a fishy breakfast cereal. Yeah, it didn't. It so didn't go well. in this film, I guess Jody Benson had advocated returning the character to her roots. Ariel is once again a rebellious free spirit, and after her father decrees music to be banned in Atlantica, she runs away with Sebastian and his band. So what ha- happened is the prologue of the film shows Ariel as a young mermaid living happily with her father, King Triton, her mother, uh, Queen Athena, her and her six older sisters. As Ariel and her family relax in a lagoon, a pirate ship approaches and everyone flees except Athena, who returns to recover a music box Triton had given her and is killed when the ship crushes her. Afterwards, a devastated King Triton bans all music from Atlantica and throws the music box deep into the ocean. Ariel and her sisters grow up forgetting music and living under their father's strict rules. Let's see. Ariel meets Flounder and follows him to a secret underground club where Sebastian and his band play music. Ariel introduces her sisters to the club, but eventually they are caught. Sebastian and his band are imprisoned, and the club is closed under Triton's orders. Ariel breaks the band out of prison and escapes with them. So with Sebastian's assistance, Ariel finds her mother's music box, and they decide to return it to Triton. On their way back to Atlantica, they have a struggle i guess and then ariel makes a full recovery and a remorseful triton allows music back into atlantica that just sounds like a delightful film sounds wild but (coughs) excuse me ariel is one of those characters who i mean she's a disney princess and at this point the disney princesses are iconic they have been involved in a lot of things uh including other disney franchises or i should say disney films like um the wreck it ralph movie ralph breaks the internet Mm -hmm. there's that whole scene with the disney princesses and they're kind of uh, welcome yeah and they're kind of welcoming vanellope into their their group um Ariel can be found in the Disney parks. 
I thought you had something else no, to say. No, I was waiting oh, for you okay. to finish. <laughs> okay, I thought you had something else to say. She's, yeah, they have her, uh, she's in the moat around the castle. I don't know if there's a moat. And what's fantastic is, so now they not only have somebody portraying the classic Ariel with the red hair and what we know of, but they also have a character actor playing uh, or portraying the new Ariel as well. So I love that they have both Ariels represented because let's be honest, you, you know, I think they do the same thing for Jasmine too. I may be wrong, but um, I just love that. I love the representation of both because you can absolutely have both. You don't yeah. have to choose. Right. All right, let's try probably That's probably a good place to uh, take a break. And when we come back, we're going to uh, wrap things up. We have a new battle. And uh, I will use this time in the break to pull up the battle theme. So uh, we'll be right back. <laughs> Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. To his castle, then Flounder will splash around to get his attention, and then we'll Down go. Down here is your home, Ariel. Listen to me. The human world—it's a mess. Life under the sea is better than anything they got up there. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. You dream about going up there, but that is a big mistake. Just look at the world around you, right here on the ocean floor. Such wonderful things around you. What more is you looking for? Under the sea, under the sea. Darling, it's better down where it's wetter. Take it from me. Up on the shore, they work all day. Out in the sun, they slave away. Under the sea, nobody beat us, fry us, and eat us in fricassee. We want the land for snugs to cook. Under the sea, we have to hook up. We got no trouble. Life is the bubbles under the sea. 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 Since life is sweet here, we got to be here naturally. Naturally. Even the sturgeon and the ray. And we are back. I hope you enjoyed that discussion about the Little Mermaid. And, you know, maybe you learned something that you didn't already know about either, you know, some of the behind the scenes stuff from the 1989 film or, you know, maybe the origins of the character itself, you know, and, you know, how the stories really differ. So one thing that we didn't mention that I did want to mention before we left, one of my favorite parts of the film was her relationship with Scuttle. 
and how she would find these objects and not know what they were. And Scuttle would be like, oh, yeah, that's a snorfblatch. That's a, it's this pipe. And he's like, oh, it does this. Or, you know, that's a dingle hopper. And it's, it's a, a fork. fork. But he's like, oh, you use it to comb your hair and create a fine aesthetic. And so when she's in that scene where she's, you know, all dressed up, she has at this fancy dinner, she sees the fork lying next to her plate. She gets really excited because she's like, oh, I know exactly what that is and starts brushing her hair with it like that. That's just it's so endearing and it's so cute. And the guy looks at her weird and she like takes his pipe away from him and like just like blows Blows it. Yeah. Yeah. Because he told her that it's a. uh, a musical instrument, and of course, it's Buddy Hackett, which is just fantastic. Uh, I I loved the the casting for that. So, um, again, if you uh, want to share your favorite Disney classics with us, let us know, and um, you know you can reach us on the Facebook group Throwdown Thursday Podcast at Gmail dot com, or uh, if you know us in real life, you can send us Facebook messages. But you know, throw throw it in the group group chat. You know, give us some. Uh, some traffic in the group. So we, like we said, we have a new battle for you. And what happens when we have a new battle? We have to play the battle theme. Uh huh. So what do we have? So today we are throwing down, I'm not bad, I'm just drawn that way, Battle of the Disney Villains. Which magical maven has what it takes to be the last one standing and reign as Sorcerer Supreme? All powers and abilities applicable. Sandbox is our... Sandbox is the Dead Marshes from Lord of the Rings, and special guest referee is Chris Angel, Mind Freak. You can choose from Ursula, the Sea Witch, from The Little Mermaid, Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty, and Maleficent, Mad Madam Mim from the Sorcerer, the, the Sword in the Stone. Sword in the Stone. <laughs> the Stone um, Sorcerer. The Stone Or Dr. Facilier from... Uh, Princess the Princess and the, and the frog. frog. I know. It was like, I forgot. Like, And you just told me off air two seconds ago. I'm like, I know that name. What's that from? All oh, right, The Princess and the Frog. Uh, Keith David. Yes. Uh, so that's a good battle, I think. We were trying to go back and forth. We were trying to think of like something that would put people on an even playing field because it's tough. You know, like when we, when we have these discussions, we want to generally put characters from the discussion into the battle. And it's like... I'm trying to think, like, who could, like, the Little Mermaid people, like, the snorks. A peek behind the curtain here. There are a lot of, there's a a lot of time and effort that goes into putting these battles together sometimes. Because we're really trying to, um, for some reason, we feel like it has to make sense. Yes. Because she wanted to do, you suggested, like, sidekicks. And you're like, oh, Lumiere and Cogsworth versus Sebastian and, and, uh, uh, flounder and i'm like well they can't have an even contest because they can't exist in the same spot at least in the dead marshes it's land and water so everybody is you know comfortable but also uncomfortable they're all magic users 
Like, you know, they can all kind of... And Ursula has the tri- the trident, by the way. So she can make herself big. But if you do that, you're always at risk of having someone ram a boat into you. Mm. So you have to be careful about that. Um, so Ursula yeah. is my favorite kaiju. Yeah. Uh, we like to... We, we like to, you know, keep it in an, in an you know, at least a semi-even playing We field. take our battles very seriously Well, we really here. do. Like, that was the whole, <laughs> well, I mean, that's the whole basis that the podcast was founded on was different character battles. Like, if you listen to some of the earlier episodes, like, I didn't think it out clearly enough because I'd be like, next week we're going to do this. But, like, we, we didn't do it right. But I think we've got it down much better now. You've got it down to a science. Yeah, we've got it down to a yeah, <laughs> good enough. Like I don't know if that's is a... okay. <laughs> so um, next week uh, we should have a new episode up next week. Uh, I'm gonna be coming back from uh, from Cape Cod uh, on Tuesday. Or maybe Wednesday. I don't know. It's going to be a weird... It's a weird logistical thing. But we should have a new episode up next week. Because um, that's going to be a fun a fun episode. If... It, it may be a little late. Like today. Like this episode. It might be a little late. But we're more than likely... We're like... 89% sure that there's going to be an episode next week. 86.4% is uh, what I'm thinking. Um, you're a little more optimistic. You're like 2.6% more optimistic than I am. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that it's going to happen. But if not, we'll, we'll put it out a little late, but it will happen. Uh, all right. So I think with that being said... We will see, see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday. Oh, and I'll, I'll I'll drop you. Wait, wait, wait. I owe you guys a sangria recipe, and I have it. I'm just losing my voice, so you're going to have to wait until next episode to get it. But I guarantee it is worth the wait. Oh, yes, it is. And okay. Now, see you, we will see next you next Thursday-ish. Thursday-ish.